0: All right, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Romans 16. I probably already said that. Now the Bible calls this condition a spirit of heaviness. And it's this thing where it's just upon you. It's zapping the life out of you. You have no spiritual vitality. Uh, Years ago, my family went to um, Gatorland. Have you ever heard that? It's in Florida and there's tons of gators, but they have this snake that is heavily drugged. I mean, he's just, but he, I don't know. He, he feels, it's like from here to the wall, something like that. And hes I, I wanna say he was 120 pounds. Key was at about right, 120 pounds. So they put the snake on your shoulders, and it's a spirit of heaviness. Right away, you're carrying 120. Now, it, just imagine if that snake wasn't drugged, and it just started wrapping around 13 times, you would realize, man alive, I have a spirit of heaviness. And when they remove that, it's this wonderful feeling that it's been lifted. So the spirit of heaviness, maybe you've had it lately. It's really common, even among Christians, is that maybe you know exactly why you have it. You can pinpoint it, or or maybe you're not sure why. It might be a lot of little things that kind of add up into a big mess of hurt and pain and heaviness. You know, in the Old Testament, well, oh, especially during Easter, there's always spiritual warfare. There's always an extra dimension. Uh, People get edgy and then there's, you know, things happen like the sound system and stuff and and we need to be on guard for this kind of stuff. But it's interesting, in the Old Testament, the ninth plague, plague, remember there's 10 plagues, the Passover was the last one, but the ninth one was a darkness you could feel God sent forth a darkness that you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face. It's one thing to be in darkness. It's another to feel it and just feel like I'm uncomfortable. I don't like this position. What is going on? The good news, in three days, the Lord lifted that darkness, even though his people, the Jews, never felt it at all. But sometimes that spirit of heaviness is like this darkness that you can feel. It might be conviction of sin. It might just be... Spiritual warfare, but we read in in Isaiah 61 The ministry of Jesus Christ. This is the prophecy of the ministry of Christ and We call it the exchange at the cross so at the exchange of the cross We give him our ashes and he gives something beautiful in return I think that's a pretty good exchange this exchange at the cross we give him our tears, our mourning, and he gives us this oil of joy, gladness. It's not something you can fake, it's for real. And at the cross, the third one is instead of this spirit of heaviness, instead of a 120 pound snake over you, he gives you a garment of praise. Say, hey, instead of being wrapped up with such heaviness, why don't you have to be wrapped up in a spirit of praise? Now, when it comes to this term, beauty for ashes, I had this friend who's a woodworker. I'm kind of a rookie, not much. This gal teaches it. She harvests her own wood so she could teach anyone on the island about wood. She comes over to my house one day and gives me some wood. And then she goes, look, I literally pulled this piece out of the fire. We didn't know what kind of wood it was. It, it could have been oak or maple or mahogany. wood. It's so black. It's so charred and burned, we don't know. She goes, well, maybe you could do something with this. And so I put that piece off to the side and did work with with other wood. And I kept looking at this for days. Like, I'm just curious. Why would she give that? It just looks like it's ashes. Looks like it's charred and it's ruined for life. But what if there's something beautiful underneath it? So finally, I thought, OK, look, I've got this machine, this sander with a conveyor belt, You just run it through there and see what happens. So you run it through three, four times, nothing happened, just more black, more char. And I go, I don't know. Am I wasting my time? So I do it a few more times. And all of a sudden, oh, I see something. There's potential here. And so in time, as I kept sanding it down, removing the ash, removing the char, it was this beautiful piece of walnut wood. And I made something with that. Is it not a picture of we give God our ashes? He pulls us out of the fire. We, we made a mess of our lives. And he says, watch me, watch this. And it begins to sand and, and, and take away. And at first it's, ah, it's a big job. But he makes something beautiful out of it. We give God our ashes, which means our broken lives, our tears, our spirit of heaviness. He restores He heals the Bible says all things become new. How about this one? This is from Ecclesiastes chapter 3 He God has made all things beautiful in his time that last phrase. That's the key. It's in his time It's not in my time. It's not in your time, but he can make all things beautiful That's why in Romans 8 28 we read God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose. So we have this threefold note of encouragement here at the end of the book of Romans. It actually starts way back in chapter one, where in verse 11, Paul the apostle writing to the Romans, remember he had never been to this church. He knows a lot of them in the church because they've traveled a bunch. But he says, you know, I, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift that you may be established. Paul had a gift of just praying for people, laying hands on them, and just even prophesying. You have the gift of helps. You have the gift of mercy. You have the gift of whatever it would be. It's, it's, it's one thing to know you're forgiven, and that's great. So now that, you know you go to church, but it's a completely different thing to know your purpose, to know your place in the body of Christ, and to know this is what I'm wired to do. And Paul said, I wish I could get there. So when you have that, you'll be established. You'll be strengthened. You'll be put firmly into place. So God moves. Here's our outline. In an atmosphere of unity. That's why there's been such an emphasis on the body of Christ, the unity. He moves in an atmosphere of love. If I do all these great things, but I don't have love, I'm a I'm a gong that throws a gong. And he works in an atmosphere of faith. So we're in Book of Romans, chapter 16, I'm reading for the New King James Bible. And we begin in verse 17, Paul the Apostle writing now, I urge you, brethren, remember, brethren, his tone of voice, I love you guys, I want God's best for you. Note those who cause divisions. I, I, I thought this is a, Encouragement about unity. Yeah. Division would be the opposite. Note those who cause division and uh, offenses contrary to the doctrine which you've learned. That, that would be the doctrine of grace. Some people just can't handle it. And avoid them. Not, don't fear them. Avoid them. For those who are such, don't, deserve, don't serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And notice this, by smooth words and flattering speech, they deceive the the, 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 the hearts of the simple. For your obedience has become known to all. So this church is known throughout the known world at that time. Therefore, I'm glad on your behalf, but I want you to be wise in what is good and simple concerning evil. I don't need to know every last thing about the most recent bondage of sin. I want to be simple in that I, I want to know i want to be wise in the good things of god that's what he's saying so therefore i'm glad on your behalf i want you to be wise in what's good simple concerning evil in verse 20 and the god of peace notice his promise will crush satan under your feet shortly the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you amen now it sounds like he ended the book right there but When pastors say amen, it doesn't really mean amen, okay? Paul wrote the book of Philippians, four chapters, exactly halfway through, chapter three, verse one. Finally, oh, we're done. No, no, he's just getting started. So he he has a hard time saying goodbye. So here he is, what the Lord puts, the, the emphasis he puts on unity is Psalm 133, verse one. How good, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, here's this first note of encouragement. I wanna encourage you guys for unity, even though it sounds a little negative by dealing with these guys who are against unity. They cause divisions. Those, they're smooth talkers. And it says, he said, you can recognize them. They're smooth talkers. Don't we? What does that mean? It means they don't, I've never seen a guy come into church and announce, behold, beware, I'm a false prophet. Just wanna warn everybody, don't trust me. They don't do that. Not even Judas Iscariot was suspected to be uh, against Jesus Christ. You remember at the, at the Last Supper, Jesus said, you know, you're gonna betray me here tonight. They're all going, what, what, is it I, is it me? Like They're starting to understand themselves enough that if Jesus says they have a condition, they should seriously check that. But when he turned to, to Judas Iscariot, Jesus said, go, what you do, you, you got to do quickly. Judas goes out to turn, you know, for the 30 pieces of silver. The other apostles, they don't even suspect Judas. No, 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 he's one of us. He's a bro. But they're smooth talkers. Then he says, uh, you go, well, wait, wait, wait. if we single them out, isn't that like judging them? Didn't Jesus say in Matthew 7, verse 1, judge not, lest you be judged. Absolutely. Does that mean I'm not, to, I'm not supposed to have salt? I, I'm not supposed to be the light? Does that mean I'm supposed to be gullible and just believe every silly thing that someone says? No. In, in the context of Matthew 7, when Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged, he also said, beware of false teachers. So your Savior... Your Lord is instructing you, beware of these guys who are false teachers. You're going to know them by the fruits. What's the first fruit listed? Their own bellies. What what does that mean? Does that mean they're just the first at the potluck? It actually means their own appetite, their own direction. They're not not one to say, hey, let's deny ourselves, pick up the cross and follow Jesus. No, no, no. It's my way. It's my appetite. How about what other fruits? He said, they, ha- they deceive the simple. Thank you, thank you. Remember I told you Easter's coming, gonna be extra warfare, so. But while our sound system will be ready. So he's deceiving the simple believers, it means they're unsuspecting, the naive people, the, the sincere, he said, so it's, usually it's young believers. You know, they come to church, I don't know about you, but when I first came to this church, i thought everyone here knew the greek new testament by heart i thought you just thought that way like you're just super spiritual and and we're all loving and in love with jesus and everything's good um sometimes there's these false teachers among us years ago there was a brother who was a very good brother a close friend an ex heroin addict and this guy could preach He's sure about Jesus Christ, the need to get forgiveness, and people got saved. But he fell back into heroin. And he started going around the church one by one and asking people for 10, $20. You could, there's a lot of heroin on the, on the North Shore back in the 70s. And then finally somebody said, hey, you know what he's doing? He doesn't need food money, that's heroin money. And he's going through the church because he knows they're sympathetic. And he's feeding off of that. So what to do? Romans 12, we've already covered this. Romans 12 says, if it's possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. So it's not like you, you have a little run in with someone and you just flippantly say, I don't know, yeah, avoid them. It's, it's not like you just have some attitude conflict and, and just write them off. He said, no, 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 as much as is possible i mean you just go the extra mile that to, to work judgment day you could say you know before god i did what i thought i could i i did in a christ-like way i did with the fruit of the spirit it was as much as possible another verse is in ephesians 4. verse 3 it says endeavoring i don't like this in the greek it's agonizing endeavoring to the point of agony to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Meaning, if I'm agonizing and I'm trying to work this thing out, that means I'm fasting from my feelings. I'm trying my best to get out of the way to to promote reconciliation and harmony and unity. Now, if I'm doing that and it's not working, here's what Titus says. Reject a divisive man after a first and second warning. He's doing this to promote unity. He's doing this knowing that if we don't, it's gonna mess up young believers. It's gonna mess up those unsuspecting, naive, trusting believers, right? So here in Romans 16, he's saying, don't fear the divisive people, but to mark them, to note them, and to avoid them. Now here's the promise in verse 20. The God of Peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Meaning this, you're in a battle for unity. That's the whole point here. There's a battle going on. God works in an atmosphere of unity. He says you want to fight for this, but you will be victorious. That's the promise. The God of Peace, who promotes unity, He'll give you victory. Just keep pressing on. So the second thing, remember the first one. God works in an atmosphere an atmosphere of unity i love this next one an atmosphere of love so picking up in verse 21 timothy my fellow worker remember that's his boy kind of like spiritually adopted him and lucius jason susipiter i'm sure i'm butchering these names. okay susipiter works for me my countryman another jew they greet you. I, Tertius, so this guy is, you know, Paul the apostle is dictating a letter to this guy named Tertius. I Tertius, who wrote this epistle, greets you in the Lord. Gaius, I'm looking for this guy in heaven. I am not kidding. Gaius, my host, so he's putting up Paul when he's there in Corinth. And the host of the whole church, he greets you. Erasus, the treasure of the city, so You somebody, you control the money of the whole city. He greets you. Quartus, sounds like quarter. He's a brother. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, all amen. Now that's the second time he said that phrase. So again, he sounds like he's ending this. So look at this list. Look at what he's doing. He's saying this is all under your love. He's wanting to encourage us in the area of love. Gaius, the host of the whole church. It's one thing to host an Ohana study. And we love you guys that do that. It's, an, it's so cool to see how the church works like that. And the hosts have a special gift of making everyone feel comfortable. Of noticing, hey, do you need a pillow? Do you need some more water? Whatever it is that the host has this gift. Gaius was the host of the whole church. That's why, man, in heaven, I wanna look for this guy. He's gonna have a potluck, guarantee. He's gonna have something working for him. Now, Gaius was water baptized by the Apostle Paul back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 14. But what I like about it, he's still pressing on. You see, we often have baptism on Easter. We've had big ones before. And you know, I'm, I'm trying my best I, I'm not the hardest person to fool, I baptized people in water thinking, wow, what a spiritual marker in their life, as we learn in experiencing God. At that, that point in my life, that day, that night, I freshly surrendered everything to Jesus Christ. I went down a dry sinner, I came up a wet saint. I just buried my past, I'm all in for God. And then you find out they 're living in sexual sin now. they went right back to drinking and to drugs and what 's going on? Not so with is. this guy is still pressing on his baptism meant something it was significant. I buried the past i 'm going forward now to the future. Do you ever have someone like that in your life? I mean you shouldn 't have to think real hard like oh, who's my Gaeus, because it's that person that just makes you feel at home. It's that person, you know, you're welcome. You know, hey, I, I know it's three o'clock in the morning, but hey, just been thinking about, you You know, do you have someone like that? Might be your best friend. How about this? Can you be a Gaeus to someone this week? Where you're there for them. Where they need a host. They need comfort. They need someone who cares. So that was the one on love. You are loved. Oh, Tertius. Did you know this about Tertius? He, he's Paul's secretary. Paul's dictating the letter. To, his name literally means third. Hey, third. Now, Quartus, sounds like quarter, he's a brother, Paul says. His name means fourth. How do you have a name third and fourth? Because these guys were slaves. They didn't have names. They had numbers. I, that just blows my mind. Yeah, I mean, what if I said, hey, number 117, how was your week? You know what, if, you, you wanna get a little more personal than that. I, I just love it that these guys were, they are slaves, but all they had is a number. Has there ever been a time in your life where you look around, you go, there's a big crowd here. I feel like I'm just a number. Uh, years ago, uh, when I first got married, my parents wanted me to go to the University of Hawaii and finish my degree. I had a two-year AA degree. Once you finish that up, that's our mar- wedding present. So I went to University of Hawaii and I walked the campus. I don't know if you've ever done this. And I'm, I'm looking around, I'm going, I feel like a number. I literally remember saying, I feel like a number. I'm, it, what's going on? And I didn't go. I didn't go, well, 20 years later I went to Bible college. I finally figured out what I wanted to do. The thing is, you know, you just feel like there's just a gazillion people around, and you know, how does God single me out? Here's one of my favorite scriptures concerning the resurrection. Concerning God singling out someone. We read in John chapter 20, verse 16 that Jesus says to Mary Magdalene, remember Mary Magdalene's looking all over for Jesus. Other people gave up. She's the one who had seven demons cast out of her. She's the one with the shadiest past there. And she's going, where have they laid Jesus? I'll just, I'll take the body, I'll carry them away. And I love how Jesus shows up and he says, Mary. He called her by name. He didn't say, number 117, your order's ready. I said, no, Mary. And there's something about calling someone by name. We used to sing a song. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls. He he hears me when I call. But the idea, he knows my name. I'm not just a number. Now, here's the deal. In the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy means second law giving. So Moses, this is the fifth book of the Old Testament. Moses is summarizing much of what has happened. He's about ready to die. And the Jews are gonna go into the Promised Land with Joshua. So Moses is summarizing everything. And in Deuteronomy chapter 23, he's going, okay, remember that guy named Balaam? Remember you were trying to get through the Moabites? They wouldn't let you through. Because there's like probably two million Jews and there's a boy just wanna drink water. That's a lot of water. And then the Moabites hired this guy named Balaam, who was a prophet of God, undisputed. But the thing is, they'll say, look, we're gonna give you money, but we want you to prophesy curses over God's people. And he said, I can't curse them. I can't curse the ones that God's blessed. But eventually, he does. Eventually, he looks over the Jews and he says you know you want to get let them bring a curse upon themselves mix them up with the Moabite women and they'll bring a curse upon themselves and so as Moses is rehearsing this history he says listen the Lord your God turned that curse into a blessing and then he says the moral reason why because the Lord loves you the Lord your God loves you He's just, could you receive that? I don't know about you, but, you know, growing up with my church background it was kind of strict. Why do we struggle with receiving God's love? I mean, if, if you ever read Romans 7, where, you know, the very thing I promised God I'll never do, I end up doing five minutes later, that which I've said I will do, I never do, the Romans 7 dilemma. And you just go, you know what it is? I've been at this for decades, okay? I really begin to know myself and understand how weak I am. I still have those times of the spirit of heaviness. I still have times of sin. I still have times of Romans 7. So do you. And you do it enough times. You do it for decades. You go, God, I wouldn't love me. I mean, What do you see in me? And so after a while, we're so inconsistent or we're consistent at sin, at failure, at not meeting up to, to, the, to what we should be. And we just doubt, well, why would God love me? Why, why, would, why should I receive such love? I think it's for other people. I think it's for more committed people, more spiritual people, more special people. But here's the deal, why do we struggle? In Psalm 103, verse 14, God remembers our frame, that we're but dust. That's why we should remember or receive his his love. Right now, God's looking here, I mean, I don't know where he is, he holds this humongous universe in the palm of his hand, and throughout time and space he looks down on this speck called earth, and then on that speck he sees a speck of dust named Mike Stangle, and you go, What what are you doing? Why would you love this speck of dust? And he goes, (laughs) yeah, he fell again, he blew it, he's got an attitude, he wasn't being like Jesus, but I've committed myself for all of eternity to a speck of dust, and I love him. Why is it hard to receive God's love? Because we don't see ourselves as that speck of dust that God has given an eternal commitment to. And he's, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. I will establish you. So that's what he goes into in this last part. So I love this. And notice in verses 20, 24, he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you, amen. Sounds like he's landing the plane. And then again at the end, it'll say, uh, he'll say uh, amen, finally. Do you know anyone like that? I'm married to one of them. My wife doesn't know how to say goodbye. I mean, I think it's a serious issue. (laughs) So tonight we have an Ohana group at our house. And after getting up early on Sunday, after playing volleyball, having an Ohana group, she still won't know how to say goodbye. And so I'll follow people to the front door. She holds the door. Let them out. She lets them out and she follows them out, let them go. Then to the edge of the, the, not the stage, but the edge of the front porch, still there. Follows, then we have a gate. She follows them there, holds the gate. Then she, I am not making this up. I've seen this for 45 years of marriage, where you get in your car and she goes like this. Okay, roll down the window, we're not done. I finally grab her by the shoulder. Maybe you've seen me do this. And I got a smile for the people, right? Let them go. Ah, They're they're tired. It's Monday morning tomorrow. They have work. Oh, but I just want to say, see, she's like the Apostle Paul. The grace of the Lord be with you. Amen. Oh, it doesn't mean a thing. I tell her, you need a period or an exclamation point or a happy face, something that says, Goodbye. Let's see if I have lunch after that. But anyway, our last point is on faith, and so we finish up this this book, beginning in verse twenty-three or twenty-five. Now, to him who is able, I love that. To him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now manifest. So this mystery is something that was hidden and now it's not hidden. Now it's been manifest to all nations. I'm sorry, Uh, according to the commandment of the everlasting God, that sounds pretty heavy, the commandment of the everlasting God, for obedience to the faith in God alone wise, be glory, Jesus Christ forever amen now what he's saying is I want you to be established God's going to establish you now this is a word of encouragement he's saying "I, I want you to promote unity and it's for your own sake if you if you allow disunity it's gonna mess people up so I want you to be encouraged in love because that's what we're all about love God love one another And now he's saying, I want you to be encouraged that God is out to establish you. So what establish means is to strengthen, to make firm, to place firmly. Like, I'm not sure where I fit in the body of Christ. He wants you to be placed firmly in your gifting, in your calling. And he says also, to render constant, to get beyond the Romans 7 experience where I'm promising God I'll never do it, and I do it. I promise him I will do it and I don't do it. He says, no, 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 he wants to render you constant or a consistent believer who has been strengthened. And you go, well, how how does that happen? He says, it's according to my gospel. Not everyone thought that way. Remember Samson? He thought he was strengthened by his hair. And he thought he could play games and just rely on it, it all works every time. And if you're familiar with the story in the book of Judges, finally Delilah finds out it's his hair and she cuts his hair. She has him fall asleep in her lap, cuts his hair. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Do you remember what he said? I'm just going to shake it off like I always do. I got this. I don't need God. I don't need the Holy Spirit. I'll just use my God-given talents for my sinful life. And so the Bible says... He didn't know the Lord had stepped back. The Lord had left him. He left Samson up to his own strength to show him how weak he was without his Lord and Savior. Others thought it was the ark. The Jews are in battle with the Philistines. They're going, man, we're getting defeated. What do we do? How do we get beyond this? And somebody goes, hey, you know what's missing? Our lucky charm, let's get the the Ark of the Covenant, we bring that out. we're gonna have instant victory. They thought it was this piece of wood. They thought it was the gold. They thought, it's not that, it's what that represented. And so they thought, oh, if we have this article in our possession, then we'll be established. No, it wasn't that. He says, now to him who is able, to God who is able, how about this? Ephesians three twenty. Do you know this one by heart? Because we're going to pray within minutes here Not to him who is able It's not your bank account It's not your fancy talk or how many converts you can make It's not your connections in life. It's God To him who is able to do Exceedingly, abundantly, now I don't talk like that. I don't think you talk like that. It, it's like he's trying to emphasize the, the power of God. It's just so far beyond what you think. I mean, to say exceedingly would be one thing. To say abundantly, but, but to say it's exceedingly, abundantly, and then it goes above and beyond. Anything you can ask or think. Now in experiencing God, he brought up a great point. We're going through this in our Ohana groups. And he said, well, if you do that in prayer, we don't even know how to pray those kind of big prayers because we can't even ask or think all that God can do or wants to do. Exceedingly abundantly, I have a friend in this church saying he's fasting for me for Easter. He's praying for 100 souls to come forward that day. How many of you heard that? That's gonna really happen. It might not, but I like the prayer. Somebody's praying exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond all gas or think. That's what God does. And as we pray in a few minutes, can that be part of your prayer? Instead of praying in doubt because you prayed this prayer 50 times before for your neighbor or for you to be established or for the Spirit of heaviness to leave now. He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond all We could ask or think So in Psalm 90 it says this let the beauty of our Lord God be upon us and Establish that's that word again strengthen make us constant Establish the work of our hands for, for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. So what he's saying is, Lord, if I had a choice to be frustrated or to be fruitful, I'm choosing the fruitful. But I need your help. I need you to establish me in this fruit. And then he ends the letter. He says, amen. So what we want to do now is pray Let me rehearse a little bit what we did last time. If you remember, my wife and I had just gotten back from a pastor's conference in in Arizona. At the end of the conference, a guy gets up and says, hey, you know what, we ended early on purpose. We want time to pray. And look around, find somebody that you can pray with, and don't leave, don't run out in a number. Literally, Joe Spiritual here goes, you know, I gotta check out of my hotel. I gotta drive over 100 miles to the airport. I gotta get up here, you know I don't have time for this. And so maybe you're like that going, trying to figure out, okay, I need to get out of here somehow. And I was looking for all these excuses. And lo and behold, I look at the guy, the row behind me all the way at the end. Oh, he was a homely looking guy. No, no, he's here this morning. He's a pastor from Arizona, and he's sitting by himself. I go, hey, you want to pray? He goes, yeah. Where are you from? I'm, from? I'm a pastor here in Arizona. Where are you from? How on Hawaii? And you always duck, you know, like, what are you doing here, man? You're of this. But he wasn't like that. He goes, hey, I have a brother in Hawaii. Where do you live? I, Haleiba. He says, my twin brother lives up on Kupakea. And Jim, you want to just, I think you're over there, right? Thank you for not making a liar. He really is here. (laughs) He heard we were gonna pray and he flew over from Arizona. just, uh... but you know what it turned out? I was so glad I didn't leave. So glad I made a few minutes for this to happen. And to me, it was one of the best things that happened at that really, really good conference. So here's what we wanna do. You did it before. You heard a testimony of how somebody had this mission impossible prayer and God answered it within days let's pray you can ask someone you have a spirit of, of heaviness but here's the caution on that don't take three hours to explain your spirit of heaviness because it won't work that. It's, I mean we're sympathetic we're compassionate but also practical just say hey I could use some, some prayer you don't even have to say what it is I had prayed with a pastor from India. I traveled with him extensively. And people would say, oh, this is my prayer. He goes, "Don't, don't tell me, let me just pray. And he had this gift. He said he'd lay hands on that person and just have like a monitor screen and he knew exactly what they were going through to the point when he was done, they'd go, that was amazing. I'm not saying God's gonna do that this morning. But the thing is just pray, I don't just talk about praying. So one thing is maybe somebody needs a spiritual breakthrough. How about this one? Maybe someone needs to know that they're loved. You know, like i has been so inconsistent lately here, this or that and this, uh, you know, I haven't had time to be still and know that he's God, to be still and receive his love. Or how about this? Wanna be established? Yeah. That's a quick prayer request. Could you pray that I be established? Finally, can we pray for the Easter outreaches? All right, Father, we pray that your house would be known as a house of prayer. May you do something only you can do now. We wanna be set free, we want to receive your love we want to be established we want to pray for easter help us pray now in jesus name amen